Welcome to the Women's Football Podcast. I'm Liv Griffiths and we've got a short but sweet episode in store for you. So buckle up and get comfy as we dissect all of this week's football. And joining us to look over it all is my very good friend, Andrew Rayburn. Hello, Andrew. Hi, Liv. Good to be with you again. Yeah, always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. And also with me is a very happy Alex Pereira. Hi, Alex. Hi, Liv. It's great to be back. Good to have you back as always. Right, coming up later on, we have Burnley manager Matt B as he looks back at his sides advancing through to the FA Cup third round where they will face Liverpool. But before we look at the action, 100 years ago this week, the FA effectively banned official women's soccer in England. The ban was in place until as recently as 1971. Andrew, the game at the women's level has made so much progress, but do you feel like there's still a long way to go? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's inevitable, really. I think there's nothing um, to be ashamed of in that, really, because, as you say, the, the, the ban that, that came into force in 1921, um, uh, which stated something along the lines of, you know, that it's following complaints about, you know, football not being a suitable, a suitable sport for females. Um, you know, it was only lifted in 1971, 50 years ago. So, you know, effectively, as you know, I mean, if you look at the men's FA Cup, that was first competed for in 1872. I think the first Football League season was 1888, something like that. So there you're looking at organised competition football um, being, you know, 100 years or so ahead of the women's game. Um, and you you have to look back to, 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 to the situation in 1921. And actually, the women's game was drawing massive crowds, um, you know, so... Really, that did set set the game back literally 50 years. And, well, how can you expect it to... I mean, it, really, the revolution, in, certainly in England in the last, uh, you know, in the last 10 years or so, has been phenomenal. The pace of change has been phenomenal. So where it will be in 10 years' time, who knows? 50 years, another matter entirely. Mm, absolutely. It is crazy to think where we where it should have been, perhaps. And, Alex, thankfully, you know, things like more more coverage on TV, social media, movements like Her Game 2, these sort of drastic measures that took place, they're never going to happen again, are they? You'd like to think not. And it's so good that organisations like Her Game 2 are trying to eradicate the problems such as sexism in the sport, because it's not just football that these things occur. It happens in all sport. And hopefully with these movements, it's helping to garner women's sport on a more equal level playing field and it's just going to help grow the game more and more like you say getting it on the tv getting it on free to air tv as well is so important because it shows young girls that they've got role models and people to aspire to be like and to help fight this problem yeah absolutely absolutely and well i guess it's quite fitting that this weekend we had lots going on in women's football and we're going to have a look at the third round of this season's fa cup but let's look at last season's final, which took place on Sunday. Chelsea took on Arsenal at Wembley Stadium. It was all smiles between Emma Hayes and Jonas Eideval before the game, but it would be the Chelsea manager, Hayes, who would be smiling at the end as her side ran out convincing winners. Now, Luke asked me to go and do some media work, but I said, no, 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 I'm going to the game. I'm going to have a few beers. So I was there with a few friends and I could only describe sort of the atmosphere as electric at Wembley. There were 40,942 Chelsea, Arsenal, like me, neutral fans who turned up for the occasion. But from the first whistle, 
for me, it just felt like Arsenal were not going to shift out of first gear. Some nervous first touches, slow energy. It only took Fran Kirby three minutes to find the back of the net after defensive errors, which, as the afternoon went on, got worse in the second half. As Sam Kerr bobbed and weaved her way around Lottie Wuben Moy to beat Zinsberger at the near post, making it 2 0. And to be honest, I feel both were a little bit at fault for that one. And if that goal wasn't enough for Sam Kerr, she literally said to herself, hold my beer and made sure the contest was dead and buried with what can only be described as the most outrageous, audacious chip over Zinsberger, who, despite the scoreline, was one of Arsenal's strongest players. But as I said from the get go, Arsenal were really lacking that sort of gear and Chelsea were very dominant. So, Andrew, we said this final would be a good barometer as to where Arsenal are. I mean, they are top of the table in the WSL, but they're not quite there, are they, with Chelsea's levels? Well, I mean, certainly in this in this particular one-off fixture, you know, it certainly looks that way. What I would say, of course, you know, it is interesting, isn't it? Because obviously the, the, the Chelsea's only defeat in the league has come against Arsenal. Uh, you can argue the the... the rights and wrongs of the winning goal as indeed Emma Hayes did at the time um, but certainly that was a much closer encounter um, whatever you want to say about that and on this occasion yeah I mean they they did seem to freeze um, it's an interesting one in terms of it's like the Chelsea Man City situation normally in, in, in the WSL it's whoever wins the league will, it will be about you know, making, you know, the consistency against the other teams you, you, and about the results against each other. Um, and if this is a, you know, Arsenal have already won that that home game against Chelsea. But if this is a marker for the rest of the season, um, you'd still make Chelsea favourites of the WSL at the end of it, wouldn't you? Sorry, did you hear the cat meowing? Cat is in agreement. <laughs> I love that. You'd say it would be Love Chelsea it. in the season, wouldn't you? <laughs> What time? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Thank you, Kat. I just figured that, that, that was that was that was Sam Purr that you heard there. Oh, sorry, guys. Sorry. Right. I kind of agree with you, Andrew. But I mean, I watched the game start to finish. I don't know if you're going to agree with me on this, but what I found very surprising were the substitutions from Adabel. You're chasing the game. You bring Nikita Paris on. Ten minutes to go. Surely you bring her on sooner. You're looking for creativity in that midfield to, you know, change the game, change the way you're approaching it. Why are you not bringing Jordan Nobbs on? Do you think tactically he got it wrong? Or do you just think Chelsea, either way, still had the better team? One thing that Chelsea are very good at and Emma Hayes is very hot on is game management. I know that sound, that's got a bit of a, a bad reputation, really. It sort of makes it sound like it's time-wasting or delaying or or winning free kicks or whatever, just to take time out of the game. And of course, that is part of it. But in terms of game management, in terms of knowing when to make the right changes, how to, you know, where to get the ball in the right areas of the pitch, where to play, when not to play. Um, and I do think that they are also quite good, largely, although, again, they froze on a big occasion against Barcelona, don't forget. Um, oh, yeah, of course. You know, you know, I think that they are, you know, that they're quite good at, at sort of, sealing the you know you know sealing the deal if you like um so yeah i mean i'm not going to criticize jonas Eideval. i mean he knows how to manage i don't um um <laughs> but you know i just think that emma hayes i think emma hayes aside from the champions league final i think emma hayes has the right 
mindset and the players have the right mindset for those really big, big, big occasions, especially at Wembley. It's, you know, it's a, it's a home from home for Chelsea Football Club generally. And I think that's something that they've uh, instilled in the women's side as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're holders of the quadruple now. It's unbelievable. And like you said, you're backing them now potentially to go ahead and win the WSL. Another one of our contributors, Abby, was there and felt that Arsenal didn't get going. And, you know, they are the current leaders at the moment, but they don't particularly look like it. Alex, would you agree with that sentiment? Yeah, definitely. I think the match itself was a game of two halves in that Chelsea, although they went in at halftime 1-0, you were kind of looking at the score, kind of shell-shocked, thinking, how is it only 1-0? They should have been at least three or four nil up and just on Arsenal's defensive issues for the match to concede within the first three minutes of the final. Like it's not good enough from a side that we've seen be pretty much undefeatable in the league so far. So I'm not quite sure. Maybe the occasion got to them because it's always Chelsea and Arsenal always seems to be quite emotional when they play each other, always seems to be, not chaotic, but it always seems to be like very passionate. So maybe it got to them. And now Arsenal have really got a regroup because they've got a Barcelona in midweek. Hmm. I was just thinking, actually, with, when we were talking about the defensive errors, do you feel like they really miss Leah Williamson being there? Yeah, I think she just offers a bit more experience and has sort of a calming influence on the Arsenal team. And I think that's perhaps what they might have been missing during the game. And it does seem like with the substitutions that Idaval made, they were a bit question- questionable in the sense of, like you say, timing with Nikita Paris. But then also when he when she did come on, she got booked within the first minute or so. I that know. Pitch, I... Which was a bit like... Terrible. You, you, you're kind of chasing the game and someone you want to score goals has just literally been booked as soon as she's come on. So it was a bit... It's a bit of an odd one for me, I think. Mm, yeah, a bad day in the office for Arsenal, but we can't take away from the fact, you know, as Andrew said, as we've always said, Chelsea, have, you know, they just know how to play these games and how to play finals. Do you think they have a different mentality to go that extra level in these cup games, in these finals, than their rivals like Arsenal, Man City? Do you think, again, it, do you think, like Andrew says, it's game management, it comes down to Emma Hayes? Yeah, I think she's very good at getting the best out of her players. And like Andrew said, she's got very good at getting the right combinations. And I think also with the Chelsea women, they get such a they get such good support from the men's side. So that's only encouraging the women to go out there and do their best because they want to match their male counterparts. And I think Emma Hayes, she just loves to win trophies. And uh, it's just it's creating her legacy even further. Yeah, absolutely. And she speaks so well after the game. I, I caught a clip um, on social media just calling Fran Kirby a national treasure. So congratulations to Chelsea. Um, but they have, like we said, they've got to turn their attentions now to the Champions League ties in midweek. And Chelsea will host Juventus knowing a point will see them top Group A. And a Chelsea win coupled with Wolfsburg win over Servette would see the Germans leapfrog the Italian side into second. So, Alex, do you expect to see Emma Hayes rest some of the players that played in that cup final? Perhaps a few will be suffering from an FA Cup hangover. It's all it's all that they do deserve, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Although, post-match, 
Emma Hayes said, no, we're not celebrating. We've got work to do. And that just shows the signs of a good manager. Like you've, you've just won the FA Cup, but your attention is immediately switched to the Champions League fixture in midweek. So I'd expect her to rest some players and hopefully maybe see Maren Mielder come into the squad and mm. she hasn't really played much post-injury. So that'll be a nice change. Maybe see Lauren James in action for the Blues. But Emma Hayes will definitely not be taking this one lightly because she'll want to finish the group top and finish it strong. Yeah, absolutely. And in Group C, Arsenal hosts, you know, as we've said, Barcelona at the Emirates on Thursday. Both sides have already qualified and Arsenal would need a big win to overhaul Barca into top spot. Andrew, up until Sunday, Barcelona were the only team to have beaten the Gunners. So this is another big test for Arsenal's credentials, isn't it? Like, How are they going to set up differently after such a heavy defeat on Sunday? Yeah, I mean, we talked about obviously Chelsea having a possible FA Cup hangover and, uh, you know, sometimes it can be, you know, a big game like that, you get yourself up for it and 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 uh, you, feel, you feel like, as Emma Hayes tried to warn there, that the job isn't done, you still want to go ahead for the next match. But for Arsenal, the last team you want to be doing after, after facing Chelsea, the last team you want to be then uh, facing is Barcelona. Um, as the only side to beat them and uh, so other, other than Chelsea. And that was obviously a, a fairly uh, convincing 4-1 loss uh, back in October. Um, so I, it's just a question really of, 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 you know, I mean, they're virtually through. So how does uh, Idaval want to play it? You know, do you think, well, we'll just try and, you know, get second place by, you know, getting something in our final group game, you know, maybe rest some players against Barcelona as well. You know, you could put your full strength side out and get turned over. Um, anyway, um, so maybe just, um, you know, I think that's what Ian Holloway said at Blackpool once he said, you know, he put out, I think that's when he, they were threatened to get fined or something. Um, and, um, he said, well, I'd have got beaten with my full strength team out, but we've got a bigger game, you know, against a relegation rival in midweek. And you may, you know, decide about feel, and I'm not putting words into his mouth, obviously, and Arsenal fans will probably have a go at me for this, but, you know, maybe, you know, trying to get, you know, they should beat Leicester, obviously, but, you know, making sure they do that following up you know, is important. Um, but um, I think it's very difficult to overhaul Barcelona. Uh, they're in control of the group. So, you know, it's second place anyway, probably. Um, I'm just speculating. No, I mean, you're probably right. I mean, Barcelona are probably one of the best teams in the world. I do love that you've managed to get Ian Holloway into this podcast. I really applaud you for that. It's got to be the first time that Ollie's got to mention the women's football podcast. <laughs> you will be really happy. And all eyes will be at the Emirates on Thursday. But in Group D, it's still all to play for with Leon and Bayern battling for top spot, with Hacken looking to potentially force their way into second also. In Group B, PSG have already qualified, and barring a defeat for Real Madrid in Iceland, they will claim second spot. Moving on, and the Conti Cup took place this weekend. Tony Duggan scored her first goal for Everton in eight years as the Toffees beat Championship side Durham 1-0. Duggan, who this season returned to Everton after leaving in 2013, Followed home the decisive second half goal after Durham failed to clear a corner. Also in Group B, Leicester City beat Manchester United on penalties to earn an extra point after they drew 2-2. The result comes on the eve of Lydia Bedford taking charge of the Foxes. In Group A, Aston Villa had five different goal scorers as they thrashed championship team Sunderland 7-0 away from home. Laura Blindgild, Browns, opened the scoring in the first minute, while Remy Allen and Alicia Lehman got two each, and Ramona Petzelberger and Chantal Boyholucky contributed one apiece. 
Meanwhile, Ellie League's first half injury time goal against Sheffield United earned Blackburn Rovers their first League Cup win of the campaign. Andrew, as Emily mentioned in our midweek podcast, Lydia Bedford is a really interesting appointment at Leicester, isn't she? Yeah, uh, and obviously on on sort of uh, secondment, I think was the official term um, from the England's youth setup, uh, um, and um, you know, a very interesting move for for, for Leicester. Um, be interesting, really, mostly to see what moves are made. You know, in ter- I mean, obviously the 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 high, you know, the higher echelons at the club really clearly they've made the change. You know, to try and preserve their their Super League status. Um, and it's about now giving Lydia the tools to to do so. So, you know, it all comes down to maybe the January window and, you know, where they can pick up points against uh, against rivals like Birmingham and things like that. So, you know, I think that's going to be that's going to be a, a very interesting thing to look out for in the next uh, in the next few weeks. And we always talk I mean, it's always about after Christmas, no matter what you're talking about. After Christmas, things will become a little bit clearer on that score, I think. Gosh, yeah, it's crazy how the time has flown that you're talking about the January window. And this kind of result for them, it's it's kind of a clean slate now, isn't it, to sort of get their first win, albeit it's not in the WSL, but it'll kind of give them that sort of confidence to perhaps win a few games, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, obviously they they if you go, go back a, a, a just sort of six months when they were on the crest of a wave um, following, you know, sort of uh, doing well in the championship. They, uh, they got the win over Man United in the FA Cup, uh, uh, if you recall, back in in, in May, um, they've now um, got a you know penalty shootout win over them in the in the Conti Cup. They beat Durham in the Conti Cup uh, earlier in the uh, earlier in the season, a couple of weeks ago, really. Um, but it is now about, as you mentioned, getting those league points. Again, Arsenal away, not a game that they're going to you know it's not going to define their season. Uh, but I tell you what, uh, Sunday the nineteenth, uh, home to, uh, to to Birmingham, that is where their season begins. Six-pointer, as we call them. That could be a 12-pointer, Liv, that one. <laughs> exactly. That's how important it is. Uh, and just just one thing to touch on, Alex, um, there are a few heavy defeats for championship sides this weekend. Do you feel like that's highlighting again that there is a bit of a gap between the leagues? Yeah, definitely. It also shows that the competition is wide open and it's a lot more competitive than people give it credit for, which is great because we want to see these upsets. We don't want it to always be the same teams at the top vying for these competitions. So I think it's a welcome and refreshing thing, but I feel like many people may disagree with me on that one. No, not at all. As you say, this is why we have these sort of cup games and that kind of leads us really nicely onto this season's FA Cup and the third round of the season's competition, which took place on Sunday. And here's Andrew with a roundup. Yes, uh, thanks, Liv. Well, the uh, headlines in the second round of the Women's FA Cup were made by Clapton Community. They became the first seventh tier side ever to reach the third round and the first to beat opponents four divisions above them after beating third tier strugglers Hounslow on penalties uh, following a goalless draw. We've obviously covered uh, Hounslow's uh, struggles in front of goal uh, recently. Their uh, their reward, Clapton, is a trip to another third tier side, actually Plymouth Argyle in round three. The other big result was secured by fifth tier Ashford Town, uh, the Middlesex Ashford Town, that is, who pulled off a massive shock by beating third tier Oxford United 3-0, overcoming a gap of 24 league places. They have got a great draw in round three 
hosting London City Lionesses this Sunday. London City, don't forget, currently sitting second in the championship. Fifth tier Stourbridge and fourth tier Liverpool Feds also caused upsets, beating teams a division above them. Uh, they will also both host championship sides next. Uh, Stourbridge take on Sheffield United, 30 places above them in the pyramid, while Liverpool Feds play Blackburn Rovers. Another fourth tier team, Leeds United, will also uh, play championship opposition as they welcome high flying Durham. Well, after seeing off National League North rivals AFC filed, it was Burnley who were given the plum draw of the third round, the one that everybody wanted, a home game with championship leaders Liverpool. And I'm delighted to say that the uh, Burnley manager, Matt B, uh, joins us now on the Women's Football Podcast. Uh, Matt, hello. Welcome. Hey, guys. Now, Matt, as I mentioned there, it's the tie everyone in the, in the, in the draw wanted and you're the ones who have got it. So you must be, uh, you must be pretty pleased. Yeah, it was... Um... We had a bit of a laugh, really, as, as the sort of the staff, because we never really get an easy draw. Every year we've been in the FA Cup, we've always had real tough, uh, tough ones. So it, it was probably in the script for us to get the, the highest ranked team that are entering the competition at this stage. So, yeah, I think it's one of them games where, you know, you're, you're pleased to get it because it, it obviously hopefully will attract quite a number of supporters. But it also gives you the chance to, to see what the next level is all about and to go up against a team full of full of high quality players. So, yeah, uh, we're certainly looking forward to it. Well, you mentioned there that sometimes cup draws haven't been kind to you. And uh, this one comes uh, just eight months after you played an even bigger fish, Manchester United, in, in last season's fourth round. So just uh, take us back to that uh, that tie. How was that occasion for you as a manager and, a, and as a team and as a club? Oh, it was massive. I think for us, obviously, we had football on pause because of the nature of the lockdowns and, and the fact that our league was suspended. So I think just returning to play at that time for the players was a huge, huge bonus. Um, but obviously, then when you do get the green light to return to play and you want to win football matches and we had a tough run up to it. You know, we had Fylde and Sunderland. Obviously, Sunderland subsequently went up into the championship as well. So we had two massive tests to even get to the Man United game and put in two big performances. And then the Man United game was was a huge occasion for everyone, for the players, for the club. Uh, it's the furthest we've got in the competition and we've had some good runs previous to that, but obviously it was a real headline one with it being the first time that that the club faced Super League opposition. So, yeah, it was a, it was a massive occasion. Um, and you know what? I look back now and, and I'm never the best if we lose. I don't like losing football matches. I'm sure every manager and player will tell you that, but I look back now with quite a lot of pride. You know, I, I look back and think Man United have put more than six past... Um, other championship and other Super League teams even across the last two, three seasons. So for us to keep it to six, probably people on the outside might think that sounds a bit strange, but I thought we put in a, mad, a fantastic performance. And um, yeah, it's certainly something that you know players will remember forever. You know, It's not often that, that when you're playing for Burnley that you expect to see a World Cup winner playing against you. So it was certainly one of those, um, one of those special occasions that the FA Cup delivers. Yeah, and of course, at that, that time as well, pitting your wits uh, in the dugout against uh, against Casey uh, Stoney, and that must have been quite special as well. She picked a, put a strong team out, and of course, you were a part-time team, um, who I think, and of course, you've looked back to that period. It was back-to-back-to-back, uh, to back to back, wasn't it, cup matches because of the, the league, uh, you know, the league situation. So, um, you know, very difficult, like you said, after the Fylde and Sunderland games, then raise it once more, you know, the following week. Yeah, yeah, and, just, and to be fair, I had a really good chat with Casey after the game. She was brilliant, um, really complimentary of how the players applied themselves in the game. And I think the biggest credit that I can say is they were so ruthless. 
they were so ruthless and that ultimately comes from her that we said in the in the build up to it to the to the staff that in order for us to pull off what would probably have been the biggest FA Cup shock in a long long time if we had got a result um we knew they they would have to have an off day um and they didn't from minute one they got themselves on the ball they settled the game down the way they moved the ball was was frightening and and ultimately that's a massive credit they came they were professional they didn't um underestimate us in any way and and they they pulled us apart with the ball um, and that ultimately comes from from obviously how the mindset that she had got them in and you know she was she was fantastic during the game and after the game as well so yeah she's a she's a top manager um, and as you say it was it was tough for us because we didn't have long to prepare so we'd had 3 weeks worth of trying to get the players back to fitness as well obviously man united were um were training right through and and don't get me wrong I'm not going to sit here for a minute and say that if our season had carried on with a beat I mean, it was only because of fitness because it certainly wasn't but um it's little things like that that do make a big a big difference so yeah we um we were proud of it I think it was a something that a lot of these players will look back on when they finish playing and go, do you know what, that was a, a real magic moment in in their careers to achieve those run, those run that run of results, should I say, and, and to get to the Man United game and, and obviously approach it in the way we did. So, um, yeah, it was it was really good. But, you know, the challenge for us was was obviously to keep moving forward, to keep looking forward and to keep trying to get another good run going. And, you know, we've been able to do that again this year. Yeah, so let's bring it right up to date then. Do you th- are there learnings you can you can take from that Manchester United game into this Sunday against Liverpool? Yeah, 100%. And that's been a key message for me this week. The chats I've already had with the staff, obviously we've not got out on the grass yet. That'll be first session tomorrow night when we do the analysis and, and then tee up the week's training of what we want to go after and how we want to approach the game. Um, but but yeah, absolutely. There's a lot we can take from from that Man United game. That's something that I've tasked the, the players and the um, and the staff to reflect on, you know, what did we do really well against Man United? But but where would, could we have been better? I think a key one for me is playing with the ball more. And, and we pride ourselves a lot on being compact. I think if you speak to anyone that, that's watched us play for a number of years, we're, we're big on our out-of-possession detail. We like to be organised. We like to, to frustrate teams in a block and, and are quite transitional. But I think for me, the biggest learning curve was... And I don't regret it because I think if we'd opened up and we tried to step higher up the pitch against Man United, I think it would have been a big score because if you give them players spaces to, to go into and if if you let them play against you um, and, and open up the transitional moments, they can kill you. So I don't regret how we applied ourselves in that game. But I think for us on Sunday, we've, we've got to play a bit more with the ball than we did and we've got to be a bit braver in possession and we've got to have a go at Liverpool with the ball as well and, and get ourselves higher up the pitch, both in and out of possession. I think that was the big thing for me because we got bodies behind the ball. We were organised, we were compact and then Katie Zellum just zipped a, a 60-yard diagonal and the whole block's taken out of the game. And I think it's there where you've got to get the balance between actually, yeah, let's be organised, let's not give them space, but but let's obviously get pressure on the ball at the right time and, and actually play with the ball as well. And I think that's going to be a key thing for me this week is, and I don't say that in any cliche, we've got to be brave. When you go up against teams like that, everyone will tell us how good they are. You know, the players all have got access to FA player. They've all got access to the YouTube streams of the games where Liverpool have played. I don't need to stand in front of them in an analysis room and say, this is what Liverpool are really good at because they all know that. They've probably watched them this season. So it's about actually giving the players the confidence to go and attack that game in the right way. Well, that's right, isn't it? Because although, you know, I mean, the bold facts are that obviously you're mid-table in the National League Northern Premier. Liverpool 17 places above you in the Pyramid unbeaten in their last 12 matches in all competitions. But 
they're not Manchester United. They are a championship team, so they are only a division above you. And the FA Cup is, is a great leveller, isn't it? So, you know, you've got to make sure that there isn't any sort of inferiority complex going in. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's always the challenge in these type of games. As, as a manager, you've got to look at, you know, you've got to be aware of what the other team are going to throw at you because clearly if you don't set up right against that, then they're going to they're going to cause problems. You know, I've watched a number of their games this season and and in possession and the way they move the ball and how they get their attacking players in, in good areas of the pitch. They've, they've caused near enough every championship team they've played big, big problems. And, and as you say, they're on a, an unbeaten run that's, that's stretching for a number of games. They've got an unbelievably good manager. They've got really good coaching staff. So you've got to be aware of that. But also we've got to walk off the training pitch Thursday night knowing that we're going to go in and give them a game. Because if, if you don't, then there's, if we're not going to approach this in the right way, there's, there's no point even going into the hat for the draw. You know, you've got to go into the hat to the draw knowing that you want to get one of these teams and that you want to have a go at them and, and try and cause an upset. And that's certainly our our uh, expectation. You know, we are a realistic group. The way I've been brought up in coaching and, and management is you're always honest and, and are realistic with your players. They know that from me. So I'm not going to stand in front of them and go, um, yeah, we can just roll the ball out from the back and make 30 passes and we're going to we're going to beat Liverpool comfortably. You know, that that is not going to be the the tone of of how we approach the game. But, you know, we've we've still got to go in knowing that that we're ready for a fight and that we're ready to go and impose ourselves in the right way on the game because sometimes you get this perception of you know if you're a team lower down all you do is you're hanging on you're defending crosses but actually we've got some good technical players in our squad that, that can go and play and for some of them whether it's the older players that are more experienced or whether it's the younger players it's about these players going out and showing actually why they want to be in the championship as a group and as individuals and, and Sunday will be a really good marker you could say it's an acid test whichever way you want to look at it but I think it'll be a really good marker for for where we're at. Absolutely. And of course, where you want to be in the not too distant future, because the club's stated aim, isn't it, is to, to, to be a championship championship side. Yeah, 100%. I mean, as you say, the season's been a, a challenging one. Um, we had a real gruelling start to the season in terms of the fixtures. We played um, near enough all the top teams back to back. And with the additions that we'd put into the side this year, we were... Um, We'd not probably had enough time on the grass just to get everyone to to understand their roles within the systems that we play and, and how we play. But certainly um, after those sort of first four or five games, we've we've started to be more consistent. We've had a couple of blips, don't get me wrong, a couple of off days, but but we've been pretty consistent since then, and, and we're moulding the players into that. And as you say, for us now, you know, we're in the in the near future, we need to be in the championship. This group of players and. They need to grab that and they need to learn this season and, and be consistent, certainly after Christmas, and then lay the platform ready for next season to push for promotion because that's that's the expectation. And, and as you say, it's certainly something that the club are wanting as well. Yeah, um, finally then, then, Matt, I mean, obviously people listening to this, especially in the local area, will be thinking, oh, that's a really good tie to go down and watch. So when they do go down there, then what can they expect from a, a Matt B team? Because you've been in charge at Burnley now for a few years. What philosophy have you instilled into that squad in that time? I think togetherness, you know, a key, key value for me, togetherness, hard work, honesty. They're probably things that every manager would say they'd like to be associated with their team. But in terms of the values that knit us together, that's what we expect. It very much is individually expressing yourself but expressing yourself within the context of the team um, 
And I think on a footballing level, as I say, we look to be compact, we're organised, we're always structured with, without the ball and we make it difficult for teams. And in possession, we, we try and get the ball into the into the areas that we want to get to quickly. You know, And sometimes that might be with a big pass in behind. Sometimes it might be we have to play into feet a little bit more. But yeah, trying to not overcomplicate the game. I think for me, reading a lot of stuff lately around football, and I think actually one of the best quotes I've read recently is that sometimes simplicity is genius and I think actually for us we try and certainly with our players we try and keep the game simple you know we don't want to I think the way Man City and teams like that play is absolutely phenomenal Um, and I think in the women's game you look at the way um, Arsenal play in possession but then I also probably for me I'm more of a more of a fan of the sort of Emma Hayes way with Chelsea women in terms of can mix it up, can be really organised without the ball and sit in, can play some fantastic football off the front foot. I think for me at the moment, they're the, the sort of the real focal point of how to be effective in a game of football in a mixture of styles. So I'm not saying for a minute we play like Chelsea women, by the way, we've not got that quality. But um, in terms of what we try and do is keep it simple, keep it effective, be organised. Um, and, and, you know, teams that or see a team that works hard for each other and, and gives everything for each other. And I think, to be fair, that, that stems from the manager on the men's side here as well, that you want to see a team that give everything. You want to see a team that are, that are going to work hard. So they're certainly things that, that we pride ourselves on. Yeah, we mentioned Emma Hayes and Chelsea there, of course. That could be the reward in the in the following round if you manage to cause uh, the the big upset in the in 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 round three that you hope to. So obviously, I mean, it's a game that sells itself, Matt. But in sort of 10, 15 seconds, it's I think it's free entry, isn't it? One o'clock kickoff. Give it the big sell. Yeah, no, I say it's free entry. Um, so for everyone that that is local to the area, it'd be great to see see you all come down and and support us. You know, your support would make a, a massive difference, um, and could be one of those things that that is a leveler to give us a chance to go and cause an upset. So yeah, it'd be great to see everyone down. One o'clock kickoff at Leyland. Well, Matt, thank you very much. And of course, we are uh, we are we we cover every level of women's football on this uh, podcast. So we should just uh, say all the best to Liverpool in that one as well. But Matt, um, yeah, very good luck. Thank you very much for joining us on the women's football podcast today. No worries, thanks, guys. Just to wrap up the uh, draw, there are three other third tier versus championship ties: Bridgewater United welcome in form Crystal Palace. Brickhouse Town host Sunderland and Gillingham entertain Charlton. There's also two old championship clashes, mm-hmm. Bristol City versus Lewis, and a meeting at the bottom two, uh, Watford and Coventry United. Plus there's a tasty local derby on the South Coast between National League South rivals Portsmouth and Southampton FC women. Uh, the third round then, all ties being played, weather permitting, this coming Sunday. So try and find a fixture uh, that's local to you and go and support your local side in the Women's FA Cup third round. The Super League teams come in in the fourth round. That is it for now. My thanks to Burnley manager Matt B for joining us and to our regulars Andrew and Alex as well. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TWFP1 and Instagram, the Women's Football Podcast. Also subscribe via all good podcasting platforms. Till then, have a great week and we'll chat to you soon. 